creator of Fearing's Restaurant, and the author of the Texas Food Bible. Chef Dean Fearing is known as the father of Southwestern cuisine and has spent his entire life cooking for people who love good food. Dean is a restaurateur who likes to spend as much time as possible at his restaurant. When not in the kitchen, he's often found strumming his vintage Fender Telecaster guitar, one of a collection of several dozen guitars and amps, playing songs from the album created by his all-chef alternative country group, The Barb Wires, or by his Dallas-based Los Coyote Band. He is also known to spend his spare time searching the countryside for Texas culinary inspiration. The state's rich variety of peppers, dried chiles, jicama, cilantro, tomatillos, fruits and vegetables, cheeses, gulf seafood, and hill country wild game play a major role in Dean's ever-changing cuisine. Dean joins us in this episode of Let the Music Play podcast as we retrace the dots that have led him to fearings at the Ritz-Carlton Dallas. We discuss what is currently keeping him curious and how he finds ways to make his music both at his restaurant and in the world at large. Hi, I'm Ashton Gustafson, and welcome to Let the Music Play. Hi, friends, and welcome back to another episode of Let the Music Play podcast. This is our fall 2017 sessions that we are calling Let the Music Plate. And if you are from anywhere near the DFW area, um, we have a household name on the show today. Uh, Chef Dean Faring. he has the restaurant Fairings at the Ritz-Carlton, built his name, his brand, his legacy uh, in Dallas for many, many decades. Um, He's also known as the father of Southwestern cuisine. And y'all know me, I've gone down the rabbit hole of the American American uh, culinary scene, and it's been this beautiful experience, and I thought, this is a guy I want to talk to. I, I can't believe today I get to talk to Dean Faring. So, Chef, welcome to our show. Ashton, thank you so much. Great to be on your show, and, uh, you know, I don't think my mother could have gave, given <laughs> me a better introduction than you. Well, you know, I can remember growing up in Dallas, and it was Dean Faring this and Dean Faring that, and it's kind of still the same story today. Um, the The flavors, the colors... Uh, that your uh, restaurant produces is just unbelievable. For people that maybe aren't from the North Texas area and haven't crossed paths with you before, where do you begin when you introduce yourself? Wow. You know, that, that's, uh, that's a good question. It's, uh, you know, it's all to me about the love of food and uh, creating food. It's just, uh, it's still my love in life. Yeah. And, uh, I love still every bit of it as I did 35 years ago. I love that. So a little bit, give me a little bit of background of your story. I don't think you were originally from Dallas. Is that right? No, I'm, I grew up in a small town called Ashland in the eastern part of Kentucky and grew up in a hotel environment. My dad ran the Henry Clay Hotel, which was appropriate for Kentucky being a great statesman. Yeah. And it was a red brick corner building right on Winchester, the main street of Ashland, little town of 10,000 people. And we grew up in, in the hotel business. Mm. And then my dad in the 60s, 
joined up with Kimmons Wilson, who was coming out of Memphis, Tennessee, with a brand called Holiday Inn. And then we moved to every city, <laughs> big city in the Midwest. Wow. And when I tell you, we've been there, we've lived there. And it from St. Louis to Chicago to Milwaukee to Cleveland to Cincinnati, and then finally getting to Louisville, Kentucky, where uh, my dad really just loved the city, and he said, I'm staying here. Mm -hmm. So I uh, grew up in, in another great town in Kentucky, you know, so, and it was during that part that I started cooking with my dad, hmm. and, you know, he was at the Holiday Inn, and after school, I would go and work, and started to learn the whole kitchen brigade system, uh, starting with washing dishes, and then going to salads, and working the grill, and then taking over the nighttime uh, whole restaurant scene at the Holiday Inn at, the, at a really early age. Wow. But it was my dad who introduced me to a man by the name of Harvey Colgen. And he says, I want you to go down and talk about this guy, talk to this guy. And he was a retired corporate chef of Hilton coming out of Hawaii and doing the whole south, you know, the whole east part of of what would be Hilton hotels in, you know, Thailand, Hong Kong, Singapore. And so I went down to talk to him. He was he was retired at that point and he was at the Jefferson Community College in Louisville, Kentucky and uh, I went into the kitchen and there was the epitome of what I thought a chef was and starched white <laughs> chef coat, starched apron, a toque that was tilted. He had a pencil thin mustache and we went into his office, and he says, Dean, do you know how to saute? And I'm like, no. And he says, do you know how to braise a piece of meat? And I said, no. And he says, do you know what a rotisserie is? And I said, no. And then I said, Mr. Colgen, these are foreign words to me. I, I don't know what they mean. And he says, Dean, this are these are terms of French cooking and what I want to teach you is how to cook French cuisine and he left the office and I looked up on a plaque that he had uh, over his desk and it said Ritz Hotel London 1920 to 1924 signed by Augustus Escoffier and when I saw that mm -hmm. I knew this was the man. And he came back in, and I asked him about it, and he said, yes, Augustus Scoffier, I was his apprentice for four years in the Ritz in London. And right then and there, I knew this was the man wow. that I wanted to be with. And he says, when can you start? And I said, tomorrow morning. And I worked with him for two years and learned 
the great basics of French cuisine. And after two years, he said, listen, you have to go to the Culinary Institute, mm-hmm. and I have you starting in February. So wow. I went on to the Culinary Institute up in Hyde Park, New York, two-year school that was unbelievable, learned, 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 and then got out of school and was the luckiest person in the whole wide world to catch a job at the Masonette, the famous Masonette in Cincinnati, Ohio, which was at that time the oldest mobile five-star restaurant in the country. Wow. And the chef was George Hayden. And George Hayden was the meanest (laughs) French chef I ever met in my life. I mean, plate-throwing, pot-throwing kind of guy. And But it was also the most unbelievable place to learn French cuisine. And you have to remember, in the 70s, you know, it was called gourmet food. Mm -hmm. You know, there wasn't American food yet. You know, it was barbecue and hamburgers. That's about as American as you got. So I worked a year and a half with George. He took me under his wing finally. And then he said, I have a job for you in Dallas, Texas. And you're going to work at the famous Pyramid Room uh, with the Fairmont Hotel. And I went down and fell in love with this city. And I had everything I owned in the back of my 78 Celica, brown, (laughs) of course, (laughs) and everything I owned pulled into this city, fell in love with it. I was a Midwest boy living in all these old river towns my whole life, came upon Dallas, which was in 79, just the cranes were everywhere mm-hmm. and this city was vibrant and the spirit was vibrant and there was an actual soul to the city that i caught fire with immediately i i just truly fell in love with dallas and fell in love with my job and then after 8 months at the pyramid room The chef says, you need to go to the mansion on Turtle Creek. I said, what's that? He says, a lady by the name of Carolyn Rose Hunt, who's in the oil business, is opening up a mansion and turning it into a restaurant. And you need to get over there and be the saucier. Mm -hmm. And I said, yes, sir. And I went over and got the saucier job. And then the rest is pretty much... Good history, you know, started out, opened the mansion, uh, was executive sous chef there, which meant being right under the chef. And then in 1981, opened my first restaurant, which was, it's hard to imagine, it was the first American restaurant run by Americans serving American food in Dallas. Wow. Wow. And it was called Agnews. And it was a small 54-seat restaurant that nobody thought we were going to survive. All the Frenchmen, all the French chefs said, we'll give you six weeks and you're going to be closed up. No one is going to go for this type of cuisine. 
and we hit five stars in four weeks, and that was the start of my unbelievable American cuisine. Unbelievable. Oh, man, I love that. It, I mean, it just seems like mentor after mentor after mentor gave oh, you these nods. It was, it was the best upbringing in the restaurant business that I could ever have. And so what age were you when you arrived in Dallas? You know what? I was, tw- I was early 20s, must have been like 23. And when I became chef of Agnews and we opened this restaurant that was going to be the first American restaurant in this city, I was 26 years old. Wow. Wow. Innocent, yeah. didn't know any better, and was just getting after it. Just getting after it. I mean, and then it was at Agnews that I said, you know, I'm going to do what Wolfgang Puck and what Alice Waters is doing in California yeah. and what Larry Forgione was doing in New York, because Larry Forgione was a major chef in the American movement, because he opened a restaurant called The American Place, and he was good friends with James Beard. Mm -hmm. And James Beard says, you need to open up an American restaurant. So that was what I was wanting to do in Dallas, Texas. I said, you know, hey, we need our own American restaurant here. But then I said, you know, I think we need to take this more regional. So it was then that I started to develop Southwest cuisine and bringing the spirit and flavors of Texas and Mexico onto a white tablecloth restaurant. And, you know, it was, it was learning from my Mexican cooks at the time, Hmm. how to cook Mexican food and then developing that into a more five-star approach, flavor and look-wise. But, you know, it was really learning the basics at first and then taking those basics and going, okay, I think we can twist this to this and how I came up with lobster taco with yellow tomato salsa and jicama salad was that first change of going into southwest cuisine yeah yeah and i love i mean for for those of our listeners that haven't experienced um what you and your team can create the 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 colors uh that come out of your kitchen are just absolutely brilliant um well it's it's part ashton that that is a major part of southwest cuisine and that is when it hits the table or when it's placed in front of you, you know, the look has to be the first thing that just attracts you. Yeah. You know, have your eyes just go crazy on a dish is, is my success. Yeah. And then, you know, eating the dish and having the flavor profile be that bold flavor with smoke or grill or, you know, a great, sear from a from sauteing you know but everything that goes along with the cooking aspect of this is so important to go 
into that dish. Absolutely. So wow. So you 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 get this baptism of hospitality meets uh, world renowned chefs that are showing you the way. Um, you know, you go to the Culinary Institute of America that leads you to Dallas. Um, you know, the mansion. How, how long were you at the mansion? It had to be at least 20 years. You know what? It all together, if you take the two years I opened up the mansion, and then I came back to the mansion as the chef in 1985, but I told the president of Rosewood, who was uh, running the mansion and and the Rosewood Hotel Company mm-hmm. was the mansion, I told Bob Zimmer, who was president at that time, I said, the only way I'm coming back is if we market the restaurant as a Southwest cuisine restaurant. Mm. And he said, Dean, you know, I want you to know this is, this is very avant-garde. <laughs> you know, this can either work or not work. Yep. And, uh, you know, we got a lot at stake here. But he believed me, and like you said, I was young enough to just say, we're doing it, and wow. I'm going to make this work. And and it worked, and it became the restaurant that we all know about. It unbelievable amount of years that we had such a great time there. But in years total, it was 27 years wow. I was at the mansion. Wow, wow. 27 yeah. years. And then 2007, um, fairings at the Ritz-Carlton. Tell me about that. Well, I left the mansion 11 years ago, and it took me a year and a half to build the restaurant. Hmm. And building the restaurant was, oh, that was the dream of all dreams. New canvas, My blank partner. canvas. Oh, unbelievable. Yeah. Well, having the greatest partner in the world, John Golf, who said, all I ask you is I want a pinnacle restaurant in Dallas. You put it together. So I found Bill Johnson as our designer, interior designer, that he and I just connected by the hip, just fell in love with this project together. And we just went room by room putting it together. And, I, you know, my thought was let's – Bill at first wanted to do one big cavernous room. And I said, Bill, that doesn't work anymore. Mm-hmm. I said, in the middle of July on a Sunday night when nobody's in town and everyone's on vacation, why would you want to walk into a cavernous room and you feel like, Am I at the right spot? Because there's nobody here. I said, let's break it down. So we have these different looking rooms, all with a different architectural view of, of the restaurant. And he fell in love with the idea. So then we developed a gallery that looks like an antebellum room. And we developed a a glass pavilion where you're like eating outside. Mm. And then we had an outside dining room that was surrounded by a park and waterworks. And then we had the high energy kitchen room that the whole dining room is surrounded by the kitchen. And you see 
you know, fire and smoke and yeah, you're in the middle of it and you're in the middle of it and it's high energy and, and all of this just works. And I wanted an outdoor bar and I wanted an indoor bar, but then I wanted a cool bar, but a cool lounge within one area. (laughs) And I wanted a lobby bar where people could just sit on couches and have a great time and, and be served drinks and food. So I got it all. You do. You, <laughs> you do. Know, you know, and, and, you know, and I'm to make the it even. the guy in the world. <laughs> <laughs> and to make it even better, you show up to stay at the Ritz, and they're like, hey, you want a uh, fresh squeezed margarita with a shot of Patron and a little bit of guacamole and chips here? We got it right when you walk in. I'm like, where am I? Sure. What is happening? Every day, 6 o'clock, our <laughs> guacamologist is, is guacamole making chips. the guacamole out in the out in the lobby and serving Dean's margarita to go along with it. Man, can't beat it. So good. Can't beat it. Um, so, I, okay, so here you are, 2007. Now you've had fairings for over a decade. Um, well, you know what? We're 10 years this month. 10 years Is this that month. amazing? Wow. 10 wow. years this month. Wow. So, you know, and that is just... It's unbelievable. I mean, if you would tell me we've been open 10 years, I'd say you're lying because hmm. it can't be 10 years. Yeah. I mean, it's been too much fun, too much creativity of great food. I mean, I tell you, I have the most fun of anybody because I come to work and it's just what I want work to be. And wow. that is that is creating food, saying hello to people. You know, people are happy. I'm happy. You know, it's just beautiful. It's kind of this crazy little world I live in. The music is playing. The music's playing. All of my favorite <laughs> songs. So, you know, and and it's and it's a beautiful look. And, you know, people are comfortable. We never say no. There's no rules. You know, I wanted I want the restaurant that people can come in and just have a great time. And we have, you know, professional service, but it's it's very personalized and you know, I'm on the floor and I got the greatest staff in the whole wide world from front of the house to back of the house and you know, Eric Dreyer's been my chef of the restaurant for ten years since we opened and I got Xavier and Samantha out on the floor as my general manager and restaurant manager. And, you know, we just all work together. Everybody in this place works together really well because we built this culture. I said, you know, if, we're, if I'm going to open a restaurant, it has to be a culture of people wanting to be here and serving people. Love it. Yeah, you're. You can the the joy, the tone of your voice, um, it, it's it it comes out evident in the plates. I mean, if I can just connect oh. those dots for you. Well, but, thank you, yeah, thank you. Yeah, well, that, that's that's what we're striving yeah. for. Well, no, I mean, you can you can it it starts there and it ends at the plate, and it's just this beautiful symphony between you, that team, the atmosphere. Um, can't say enough good things about it. So, well, and I, as I was telling you before we got on the phone, uh, we were just working on a new menu. You know, we're constantly 
changing the menu. And we have for 10 years. I mean, of course, we have our signature items, tortilla soup, barbecue shrimp taco, the buffalo, the chicken fried lobster as main courses. But, you know, the beauty is you come to Fearings, you never know what's going to be on the menu. And I love that. Yeah, yeah. For the customer. Absolutely. Always a new experience. And it keeps you guys creative and curious as well. I tell you, this young crew that I have, if we're not changing the menu, they get bored. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they they want they're always learning, striving. Give me something new. You know, how do we do this? And and that is the engaging part of my job is with my staff. I, I love it, and, and it's an everyday thing. Yeah. So, what is the biggest shift you've seen? over the last few decades from this gourmet is French cuisine, uh, this move to what, you know, you've kind of established, you've had a great hand in putting on the plate, you know, for people. What have you seen as the biggest change in the creative and culinary scene? I will tell you, the biggest change has been late night eating to early night eating. Wow. And it's amazing. And this is just over the last five years. You know, where 8.30 used to be the prime eating time, 7 o'clock now is the prime eating time. Hmm. You know, when I was at the mansion, we would not even serve one dish from the kitchen until about 7.30. And that would be slow. And then the majority of all the tickets would come in at 830. And then on Saturday nights, I remember serving steak dinners, big old ribeyes coming out of the out of the kitchen on a Friday and Saturday night at 11 o'clock, 1130. Mm -hmm. And, I, you know, even at that time, I was like, wow, how do people eat steak (laughs) at 11 o'clock at night? But it was happening. And now all of that has changed. You know, we have people in the restaurant at 5.30 some days. And 6 o'clock, you start seeing people to come in, uh, coming in. And then at 7 o'clock, the restaurant's full. It's, It's really amazing. What do you attribute that to? You know, I think people want time at home, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think, I, I, well, I think definitely, you know, the drinking laws have definitely changed it. You know, no one wants to be out on the road at night with some drinks in them, yeah. you know, so I think that has definitely changed a lot of the way people eat. But I think people want to eat and they, they don't want to sacrifice eating. They, they, eating is still entertainment. And still what we enjoy. I mean, we probably think all day long about dinner, or at least I do. (laughs) (laughs) Like, what are we going to have? Where are we going to go? And, and, you know, when I, when I'm off and I tell boys it's time for dinner, they get their shoes on because, (laughs) you know, because we're going out to eat. So, you know, it's, it, it is, what people do now. I think cooking at home 
is becoming less and less. You know, I think picking up something at a store, food store, and bringing it home is yes. But somebody getting home and starting to cook, that's that's a low percentage, I think, nowadays. Yeah. I think people get home from work, both both you know, mom and dad are working, and I think people want the luxury of going out to eat. And now, in every town, you have the luxury of deciding what kind of dinner mm-hmm. you're going to have. Right. You know, whether it's Tex-Mex, is it pizza, is it Italian, you know, what is it? Is it sushi? You know, is it Chinese? You know, is it fearings? You know, it, it it's all of that. Now, there's there's so many choices to decide, and you can just go from any economic level that you want uh, across the board. It's amazing. Right. But people are eating earlier because I think people want to get home. Would you say that the palate is also becoming more sophisticated? You know, oh, by all means. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I, it. It's amazing how many people know food nowadays. You know, when I I go back to talking about the gourmet days, you know, that was truly a handful of people Mm -hmm. that knew food. You know, a lot of people did not know food back in those days. It was very simple. And, And everybody was still cooking at home. You know, so... And when you went out to eat, it was a luxury. You know, it was yeah. like, hey, we're yeah. going out to eat. And and I remember that as a kid. You know, going out to eat was a big deal. Uh, but, you know, now it it really is just amazing that how all of that has changed. The palate, and I think because of TV and because of magazines and just because food is part of our lives now it's not just we're going to go get something to eat it's like what are we going to be eating you know it it really is it's like the excitement of eating now is tenfold over what it used to be yeah it's a it's experience it's flavor it's entertainment right it's all of that right yeah wow so I want to go back to this tone because I just love I love your energy, and and how how have you kept that energetic tone that joy I, I call it the bass note How have you kept that bass note <laughs> of no, Dean's How have you kept Dean's bass note dialed into Man, I'm fired up today to go do this because of course it could be another Yeah, we're doing Buffalo again. You know, I, I can see how someone could fall into that. But oh. but you bring this. I mean, I can imagine. I mean, I don't think I could ever see myself working in a steak restaurant. Right. You know, a steakhouse. You know, I, I think I'd be bored. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Know? You know, because it's the excitement of food, and that's what we've been talking about. Keeps my spirit on a high level. It's when I wake up. You're going to laugh when you hear this. <laughs> But probably one of the first things I say to myself is, hmm, wonder what I'm going to be eating today. You know, yeah. what, do, what do I feel like having? Yeah. You know, because 
my family thinks I'm crazy because when we're all together, we're not even done with lunch. And I'm already going, so what are we going to do about dinner? I'm right there with you. you. I'm right there with you. (laughs) And it's like when we're having dinner, it's like, okay, breakfast tomorrow. What about it? Yeah, I'm right there with you. And they're all like, can we just finish dinner first? You know, it's like because I'm constantly that crazy person thinking about food all the time. And that is my spirit, is coming in and getting excited and getting my crew excited about what we're going to be doing today. Yeah. Does does your um, the consciousness from which you create, does it shift with what the landscape is producing? Like as the seasons sure. change, you know, and the oh, crops are doing their thing, do you guys... Ashton, yeah. you know it. Yeah. You know, or being introduced to something. Someone yeah. may come in the back door with some quail, yeah. you know, and I'm like, oh my God, or chickens from the area, or yeah. or vegetables. You know, it, it it's so unbelievable. I'm, or I'm on the road with some chef friends, and they go, hey, do you know about this? And I'm like, no, I don't even know. He says, let me, I'll send you the link. You know, it's, it's an amazing world. I mean, the computer has really, and the internet has turned us into searchers of anything we want. But for me, searching for food is, is unbelievable. I was just telling a customer, they're like, wow, this fish is so good. And I said, yes, we have it flown in, you know, from Georgia Banks, which is the best fishing area, right off the coast of Massachusetts. It is the best fishing area in America. And I said that, you know, those scallops are less than 18 hours old. You know, they were harvested yesterday morning, then they're put on a plane, and they're here and you're having them for lunch. I mean, wow. it, it's amazing wow. what what FedEx has done for the food world. Mm-hmm. It is fascinating. I mean, we can get anything we want from any part of the world, and it can be here splickety split. So if I'm a if I'm a new chef, or if I'm if I'm on the fringes in my in my younger twenties, and I'm thinking, uh, I think there may be something for me in this. What what would you, what is like the, you got to know this nugget? If you're going to go down this road, you need to know this. You know what? What is missing with a lot of the younger cooks getting into the business is they're believing in TV. Mm-hmm. And I tell you, the worst part about food TV is it's changed the landscape on how young people see this business. Mm -hmm. And first of all, it's no easy business. Second of all, the chances of survival in this business is, is like, wow. You know, if you can, I mean, I feel fortunate we're 10 years old, you know, that that's a big deal in the, in the restaurant business. Considering that most restaurants make it a year and a half. And, You know, it's how do you learn the business? You know, you have to get to the basics and you have to spend your time learning the business the right way. I mean, I was the most 
fortunate person to be under some great guidance all through my younger days. Great guidance, you know, that were there to say, you're not seasoning correctly. I mean, if you don't know how to season, forget it. Mm. You know, why go in the business? You know, because no one is ever going to say, man, that's delicious. Because most of what is delicious is called salt and pepper. That's right. And, and, you know, everybody can be creative. But how do you become a money manager? How do you make money in this business? Yeah. You know, there's, there's so many avenues. You know, things go wrong so quickly. You know, you, you, can't, you can't stop the bleeding. You know, so you have to learn the ins and outs. And I think TV gives it this whimsical, oh, I can be a chef. Mm -hmm. you know? the, the overnight <laughs> like, success myth is actually a myth. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I know it works in other, you know, in other professions too. But in this one, you really have to know your stuff, so mm -hmm. to speak, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And it, it sounds it, to me like you've learned the the two hats of chef and restaurateur i mean this right you know the, the the two worlds that you're one foot in and one foot in one and one foot in another is a whole nother language a whole nother uh way of approaching the business well and the new language ashton is the fact that there are so many restaurants now yeah. is I mean, I've never seen being competitive like I have in this new world we live in now. I mean, we live in a competitive business now. There's there's five restaurants on each block now. Yeah. And how do how do you become how do you single yourself out to have people come to your restaurant out of all of these restaurants yeah. and you know, that's, that's the question. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So I want to shift gears with you. So we've, uh, we've dialed into the, to the, to the food passion of yourself, but I know that there's this music passion that's deep, deep in your soul. Um, and, and when I, when I saw your bio, I was like, what this guy, he's, he shreds a Telecaster and He's a part of the Lost Coyote Band. So where, where do we begin um, with you well, and your passion of music? We're at Let the Music Play podcast. We got to talk about this. Well, where it all began for me was the year, the summer of 69. <laughs> I think I've heard a song Crosby, like that before. <laughs> uh, you have. And Crosby, Stills, Nash came out with their first album. And my brother and I heard that album and there was no way that he and I were not going to be buying a guitar. Wow. And we saved up our money and went down with another buddy, Bob Martin. I'll never forget it. And we went to McCord's music in Akron, Ohio. And we bought some $79 Yamahas and with the whitest tops. I mean, I thought it was just unbelievable. But, I mean, first of all, that was pretty much all of our summer money that right, we saved right. up. And we go down and we buy, each of us buy a Yamaha guitar, 
and the three of us were going to be Crosby, Stills, and Nash. And we never got even close, <laughs> but we did start to learn the chords. So we spent the rest of the summer learning chords, and my love for music started right then and there, and it hasn't stopped since. Wow. And, uh, you know, to to be in a couple of bands, I'm with Robert Del Grande down in Houston, who has Cafe Annie, he and I are dear friends and started Southwest Cuisine together along with Stephen Piles here in Dallas. So we go back a long way playing uh, the room service tours. We would, when we were on the road promoting Southwest Cuisine, we'd both bring our guitars mm. and we would, after the dinners, we would just invite everybody up to our room hotel room and order a bunch of room service and drinks and he and I would get the guitars out and whoever else played in the in the group or knew how to play or sing we would just jam all night long and so then we formed a band called the Bob Wires Robert and I and then uh I've always had a rock and roll quest in me and that's where another good friend and I uh, formed a band called Lost Coyote and and we just rock out the jams and and have a blast and I get to live I get to live the double life of doing everything I ever wanted yes. you know of cooking and creating and having a great time at the restaurant to you know, being able to get up on stage and have a great time singing and playing and just having fun. So, so you've got this guitar collection, right? Um, oh my God, do I? And, and not, not, I know this is a tough question, but if you had to pick one, the the one that you're taking with you to the to the island that you're all by yourself and you just have this one guitar left, which one's it going to be? Well, it would be. My my new arrival at the house, which is a December 1950 broadcaster. Wow. And this is Leo Fender's first Telecaster, which didn't even call Telecasters at the time. Oh. And, and they called, he called it a broadcaster. And it is the same as a Telecaster, but it was the first ones made. And the history is they don't even know how many broadcasters were made. So it's a it's a wow. rare find and it's a unbelievable sounding telecaster. Wow. I mean I would love to see that. Oh, you will when you come to Dallas. <laughs> Let's we gotta make that happen. Um, yes, I would love will. I would love to come see that. So um, I'm a I'm a Fender Telecaster guy, and I'm a also old Martin guitar guy. So yeah. I, I love old Martin acoustics from the 30s and 40s. And another holy grail I'd take to the island is my 1935 Herringbone D28 Martin, which oh is my unbelievable. Just, oh my goodness. I, yeah, it's it's a great year for for Martin guitars, and it sure does sound like it when you play it. Wow, love it, absolutely love it. So, um, food, music, what I mean, 
what else keeps you curious at your your decades in? Um, is there any? Well, the, the only other thing that keeps me constantly curious is my fiance Wanda Guerrero. There you go. Good call. <laughs> so uh, you know, I got the trifecta. You, you know, do. I have. I have wonderful restaurant that I absolutely love, the whole music side that I get to be somebody that I'm not, you know, and then and then my whole love for Wanda, which uh, we, we found each other four years ago and just got engaged, and she is the love of my life. Congratulations. Beautiful. Thank you. So as we wrap up this conversation, and I ask this, thought leaders, entrepreneurs, musicians, chefs, everyone that we get on the show, I always ask, what advice would you give to your younger self? To my younger self, you know, I don't know. I had myself, I I had every dream come true. Hmm. Uh, You know, um, it would have been, oh, I know what it would be. It would have been to learn the business side earlier. Interesting. You know, I was, I was so into food and, and such a rebel about it in the eighties that somebody else was running the business, you know, when I was at the mansion, you know, so I, I didn't have to, Mm-hmm. you know, put any energy into that. Yeah. And then once I got into my own business at Fearings, you know, it was like a crash course. I was like, oh, okay, you got to learn this. Hey, ooh, yeah, we got to remember <laughs> about this. <laughs> you know, so Whole the world. first couple of years, yeah, I mean, everything worked out and, mm-hmm. and all great, but it was a learning curve. Uh to do more of the business. Yeah. And and in the later years at the mansion, I was more prone to learning about the business. But, you know, I would say in my early days, I should have divided a little more time to learning how to run the business money-wise. Hmm. Interesting. Wow. Well, I can say um, I, I love your passion, love your energy. Um, well, thank you. Your story is very, very inspiring. Um, I, I think we've got a lot in common, especially the music side of things. Um, That's great. So I hope to shake your hand one day soon. Hey, come on down. We we got a whole new menu to show you. Brilliant. Well, we're going to make that happen. I promise I'll come see you this fall. Um, for our listeners, best way to find you and information on your restaurant. Um, I think it's fearingsrestaurant.com. Where, is that where you'd want us to send them? Yeah, yeah. And that's fearings, F-E-A-R-I-N-G-S, restaurant.com. Gotcha. So, and from there, they can find you, make reservations. They can find me. They can contact us. They can make reservations. I have a new food line coming out uh, in the fall, so that will be on the website. So we'll have lots of information. Awesome. Well, Dean, uh, my hat's off to you. I sure do appreciate your time and generosity, and I know that our listeners are going to be inspired by you and your story and the music you're making there uh, in Dallas. Well, thank you. And Aston, thank you for inviting me on the show. Absolutely. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, buddy. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes and leave us a review. Our goal at Let the Music Play podcast is to bring as much insight and inspiration to the world that we can. And by leaving a review, you will help us in doing our little part in making the world tune up to a great, big, and lovely song.